0: On this edition of FedGov Today with Francis Rose, the more things change, the more things stay the same for the TSP and federal agency AI explodes at the use case level. It's Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. Welcome to FedGov Today with Francis Rose. The new FedGov Today TV season debuts this coming Sunday morning, January 7th at 1030 on ABC7 and on the FedGov Today YouTube channel. DOD CIO John Sherman and the CIO at the Defense Intelligence Agency, Doug Casa, will be the first guests of the new season. You can always find FedGovToday TV on demand on our YouTube channel and on FedGovToday.com. Some of the numbers for your TSP will change in 2024, and some will stay the same, and the TSP is digging into social science. Kim Weaver is Director of External Affairs, the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Kim, welcome. Happy New Year. New contribution limits, some other numbers changing, some st- staying the same in the new year. What should people be thinking about as they prepare for the new year? Welcome,
1: Kim. Happy New Year, Francis. Thank you for having me. So I um, for 2024, the IRS uh, raised the elective deferral limit to $23,000. And they left the catch-up limit for people 50 and older at $7,500. So if people are in a position to max out, they have the ability to contribute $30,500 to their TSP. Um, And there are calculators uh, on our website that that help people figure that out and spread, whether it's just the 23,000, not just, whether it's the deferral limit or it's both. Um, to make sure you spread it out evenly across the, the year so that you continue to receive the employer matching contributions. Um, so people should be just checking in, thinking about that, at, you know, at the beginning of the new year, everyone will be getting their annual statement in February. And that's one of the things that they should should think about.
0: If I need to change my contribution, I can do all of that online?
1: You can do that online, but not through the TSP. You do it through your individual payroll office. So um, for postal, it's light blue. For DOI uh, payroll people, it's employee express. Mm -hmm. Whatever your um, HR portal is, that's the way you make that change.
0: Anything else that I should pay attention? Well, not me, because I'd love to be in the TSP, but I'm not. Anything else that participants should be thinking about as the new year begins or as they start to prepare for tax season or anything else like that, Kim?
1: Well, for a certain group of participants, the Secure 2.0 Act changed the fact that Roth TSP no longer has to be included in your required minimum distribution. And so for about 7,000 participants, Um, They will no longer, when they're getting their RMD in 2024, it will only be based on their traditional balance. The Roth balance will be excluded. And we let those 7,000 participants know uh, through in November so that they're not surprised by that exclusion.
0: All right. I note that uh, you got a social science update from the chief scientific advisor at the board meeting in December. I didn't know that you explored social sciences, and there's some really interesting material here. What, What's overall, what are you going for, and how does this help, in your view, help you serve participants, and how does it help the participants get the most out of their, their savings?
1: Our social scientist uses many of the theories behind, for example, behavioral economics, nudge theory, um, to have to help participants maximize the use of their TSP. And so she designs um, a variety of tests, mainly through emails, uh, to see what type of messaging is most successful in informing participants and changing behavior. And so, uh, for example, one of the things uh, we tested was, Do you want to hear about whether or not your participant, your peers, are doing something? Do you want to hear about um, you're losing, leaving money on the table? Do you want to hear about um, is it five dollars a day or 150 a month? Those are the same amount of money, but it matters to people when you break things down. And so we sent uh, emails to nine thousand three hundred people and. One group got an, an email saying, um, "You're leaving money on the table." One broke things down into dollars a day. The other one um, used peer influence in the language, and then the the fourth group didn't get an email at all. So after three months, against the the test the the you know the uh, control group that didn't receive the email, money on the table drove. higher contributions. Dollars a day, 25.5. And peer information, 22.6. So that tells us that breaking things into dollars a day is maybe a better messaging tool for our participants. And so we take that information and then we use it for future communications to larger groups of participants.
0: It's fascinating to me because the like I said, this is not something that I knew that uh, that the TSP did. I'm not sure I've ever gotten anything like this from my 401k provider. And I understand the benefit to the participant if they're saving more money. They're going to be more secure in their retirement. Is there a benefit to the TSP by having either more participants uh, d- depositing money or depositing, having a greater total uh, amount of money under management or something like that?
1: should people contribute more? Yes, our assets under management would go up, but that's not what's driving this at all. It's we're fiduciaries and we're, we're acting in the best interests of our participants and beneficiaries. And so to the extent that the way we frame things, the way we message things to participants resonates better um, or more clearly with people, that's what we're trying to do. Um, you know, I, I, especially at the end of the year you do start getting emails if you've got IRAs or other financial investments and um i think it's safe to say many of them are written in an opaque way that makes it a little different difficult to understand what it is that they either want you to do or trying to tell you and so we're really working and our social scientist is really working along with our team of writers who are incredible in their own right to put things in plain English that people can understand with a message that's clear and actionable. Um, Because a lot of times you'll see something and then you're like, well, that's interesting, but what do I do about it? And so what we're also providing people is this is what you can do about it.
0: All right. Anything else on the horizon that we should pay attention to as the year begins, Kim?
1: Just that annual statements will be coming out, and um, for people who've made withdrawals, they'll get 1099s, or, um, and those will be coming out as well.
0: Kim Weaver, thanks very much as always. Great to talk to you.
1: Good talking to you.
0: You can read more about the TSP in today's show notes, fedgovtoday.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of FedGov Today. Innovation in Government, DOTUS, presented by Carasoft is coming. January 9th at 8.30 p.m. on WJLA 24-7 News. You'll see all new interviews with leaders from DIA, NGA, SOCOM, and a lot more. You can learn more about the show and see a full guest list at innovationingov.com. Civilian agencies in the federal government have thousands of use cases for artificial intelligence. Those use cases are starting to yield results for those agencies. Kevin Walsh is director of the information technology and cybersecurity team at the Government Accountability Office. Kevin, welcome. It's great to talk to you. What did you find as you looked across the agencies and tried to do an inventory or an eyeball of what they're doing with artificial intelligence? Welcome.
2: Thank you Francis for having me always great to talk to you as well. So we found that there were almost 1200 either current or planned uses of AI in the federal government. So there's all this talk of, hey, you know, AI, how's it coming ChatGPT, GPT, all these very cool large language models. It's already here, the government has more than 200 uses where the government is using AI right now. So this is here, and we're we're moving forward with it, regardless of whether there's guidance or guardrails around it.
0: I think the thing that a lot of people will take heart from, from your work is those two words, use cases. I think there was a lot of fear when artificial intelligence first came around that people would um, use artificial intelligence as the solution in search of a problem. And it sounds like by developing use cases first and then thinking of ways to apply artificial intelligence to them, the agencies are going about it in the right way. Is that a fair observation on my part, Kevin?
2: That is absolutely fair. And I expect that agencies, as they as they grow and mature, and these these use cases are publicly posted if anyone wants to, to take a look at them, um, but these are living documents. I expect agencies, you know, we took a look at this, and it was as of fiscal year 2022. So even since then, agencies planned and current uses of ai will have evolved so i i think that their initial sweep of hey what could we do with ai was probably very broad and permissive and as they have started thinking through these things we may see some retraction but overall i expect the number of planned and and you know current use cases to grow in the government this is this is assistive technology it's going to help people do their jobs better uh we are not yet to the uh terminator arnold schwarzenegger Cyberdyne systems where ai is coming for us well we're coming for jobs which is
0: one of the biggest sources of unease about the implementation of artificial intelligence not so much at the leadership level but maybe a layer or two down did you uh, encounter any situations you said assistive so i assume the answer to this question is no but uh, did you see any use cases where the
2: technology was actually replacing FTEs? So we didn't look deep enough into any of the 1200 to determine yes or no, this is going to job replace, but uh, I don't think so at that point. However, in the latter half of the report, we did look at some of the, the steps and the requirements that agencies are take to meet federal law and executive orders. And the Office of Personnel Management was supposed to establish an occupational category for AI-related workers. And this is so that we can track them, but also so that we can help train them. We're going to need more people in that field. And I suspect in the in the job training field, we're also going to need to do a lot of retraining of people whose jobs... Maybe they won't be replaced, but maybe the amount of day-to-day work they have to do is minimized, and so they'll have more bandwidth to do more things. This has tremendous potential to make government better, to make every single employee you know, a little bit better to empower them, to allow them to do things, and, and get rid of the mundane tasks, because uh, that's, that's the easiest, the low-hanging fruit for these large language models and other AIs to, to pick off. You and your team write, GAO's
0: analysis of agencies' inventories of use cases identified instances of incomplete and inaccurate data. What are some examples of the incomplete and inaccurate data that you found,
2: and what's the holdup for the agency or agencies where that's the case, Kevin? So incomplete and inaccurate refers to the the guidance that came out for agencies to publish these inventories said, hey, we need you guys to provide these specific fields, you know, not only the name and a description but you know intended purpose life cycle stage you know basically metadata and in many cases agencies either didn't fill out certain fields or made up their own entries and didn't follow the guidance in terms of what specific uh, options they could it's like having a multiple choice test of a b c d and then choosing partly cloudy is their answer. Um, (laughs) A bad form in the least,
0: I would say. Um, And that kind of answers my next question, which is, is there a way to tell if they didn't provide it because they didn't have it, or they just didn't provide it because they
2: just didn't? So there's, there's no way to tell, but an added complication to this is the 1,200 that we looked at represent not only What's publicly available, but agencies did flag some uses as sensitive and not for public consumption. So the 1,200 that we were able to look at is, as far as I know, the the first of its kind broad scope look that included those behind the the government curtain AI use cases. So uh, especially in those cases, it would be impossible for for anyone in the public to know whether whether those were, were submitted appropriately or not.
0: We'll talk about the recommendations, and there are a ton of them in this work uh, in just a moment, Kevin, but are there any missing elements, any missing pieces before we get to recommendations that agencies have gaps that they need to fill uh, in order to kind of get up to
2: speed on this? So we flagged, uh, as, as you note, know, uh, a lot of issues, the data gaps, the inaccuracies. We also flagged instances where agencies had incorrectly included certain uses or had included things that weren't really AI. Um, there's also we looked at some of the the laws and compliance, and agencies didn't do a great job having plans to continue to update these use cases. And not a finding of the report, but something that I know will be of of concern to our you know our our congressmen and women, as well as your listeners, uh, we don't really have a good idea how much this is going to cost.
0: I think maybe my favorite passage in, in this work, Kevin, two inventories included AI uses that were later determined by the agencies to not be AI.
2: How does one get that wrong? So this goes to the issue of kind of what is AI? There's a lot of debate right now in terms of the, the definition of What is AI? So some of it may be that and agencies saying, you know, at first being overly permissive and allowing, Hey, let's, let's build a large tent. Let's put all this stuff out there and in, and then subsequently going back and saying, yeah, we, we talked about this with, you know, with the powers that be. And we determined that, Hey, this, this, this is close, but not quite. Maybe it's machine learning, but where, where you cross the line from a smart computer program into, you know, AI or a large language model is is a is a blurry line at
0: this point all right uh, 35 recommendations to 19 agencies some of the high points uh are are these 15 agencies should update their AI use case inventories to include requirement information and take steps to ensure the data aligns with guidance is that just a matter of filling in the gaps that you talked about uh, at the beginning of this conversation where the data fields and so on were misaligned or is there more to it than that
2: it it is exactly that. Making sure that the data that we put out there is good data. The old adage "garbage in, garbage out" still stands true to this day.
0: All right, uh, three pieces at the, the in at kind of the enterprise level across government: the Office of Management and Budget, the Office of Science and Technology Policy. And the Office of Personnel Management should implement AI requirements with government-wide implications, like issuing guidance and establishing or updating an occupational series with AI-related positions. That would really go, I imagine, to the ability of both an agent, well, all of an agency, the enterprise-wide organizations, and overseers like you to be able to tell who's working on AI at any given time. But there are always going to be uh,
2: kind of nuances to that, I suppose that is that is exactly right and the part of the issue here is the government's job series are very very old and there's a lot of momentum you know how do you shift the course of a glacier how do you recategorize a whole bunch of positions from one to another especially when as we were discussing a minute ago the definition of what exactly is AI is still somewhat in flux so how do you how do you designate hey here are the people who are working AI without Knowing what AI is, I I do not envy OPM's position in this regard, but it is the law, so OPM has to come up with something.
0: I do note that nowhere in your work did you say that fixing any of these recommendations would be easy. Um, the final uh, broad brush one is that 12 agencies should fully implement AI requirements in federal law, policy, and guidance, like developing a plan for how the agency intends to conduct annual inventory updates and describing and planning for regulatory authorities on AI. Um, What does that look like in the back end when in some theoretical future point that that recommendation has has been implemented?
2: So this is mainly dealing with, hey, kudos to the agencies. They all had some form of public AI inventory out there. What we want now is to make sure that this wasn't a one-time affair, that they continue to do these updates, and that these updates are done regularly and they're guided by policy and guidance not just you know the the flavor du jour of whoever the leader is of of the agency so it would be frequent updates to these inventories done in a in a rigorous and regular manner but i think i'm going to circle back to to one of the prior enterprise-wide recommendations that that you mentioned omb in the absence of any guidance from omb agencies are just going to continue implementing this ai and there's no guardrails on the sides. How should we be doing it? What kind of you know what kind of thinking process should we do as we go through this? I think of all the recommendations, you know, out of all thirty five, I think that's the key one. And to omby's credit, they do have some draft guidance that's out there that will hopefully do many of these things. We just need them to to finalize it and put a stamp on it, get it signed, and get it out there.
0: The next time you look at this issue, Kevin, will you do it the same as you did at this time, or will you do it differently to account for advances in the technology or advances in some of the policy and guidance that you've talked about that may or may not happen in the interim uh, or for some other
2: reason? So I think subsequent looks will be different. This was our first broad, what's where is the AI in the government? what are the requirements? I think in the future, we're going to be doing deeper looks into into specific areas, especially uh, the administration just came out with an AI-related executive order. We're going to be looking at a lot of those requirements, which have uh, three-month, six-month, nine-month timeframes and deadlines that that are going to be very relevant to how the government can execute AI going forward.
0: Kevin Walsh, thanks very much for talking about your work. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Francis, for having me on. You can find a link to Kevin's work about AI at civilian agencies in today's show notes at fedgovtoday.com. I know you're really busy. You might not catch all the podcasts and TV shows FedGov Today offers you. If you want to keep up with everything that we're putting out, you can follow us on LinkedIn to get the latest updates. You'll get the next FedGov Today podcast next Wednesday. Till then, thanks very much for listening. Have a great week.